Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is a very hungry Jeff Clossy. Hey Jay, how's it going? Good. Yes, I am hungry at the yeah. moment. So Jeff was just saying, let's hey, let's get, going. This, let's get this thing going. <laughs> so normally normally we have uh, less tomfoolery when you're here because you, you honor people's time better than uh, I do. I like and, how you said that. Well, yeah, it's it's true. I feel like when people know, I think both, I think both when you preach and when you're on the podcast, people know like this is going to be efficient. We're yeah. not gonna. He's not gonna waste. He's not gonna waste any of my time when I'm up there, or when I'm here. Who knows? Yeah, I have no issues wasting everyone's time. That's my. Right. It's kind of my uh, tends my to be word. my thing. So here we are, and uh, so Jeff is hungry. So I think you're hungry to share. I am. On the podcast, right? I am. I, You're I'm hungry. I am. I'm loving Axe. It is. It's been really fun. Seriously, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really been enriching. It's one of those books that you know I've read over and over, but I've never preached through like this. And it has been wonderful to sit in it and dwell in it. I have spent probably more time in Axe than any book, um, and so it is my. It's this is this is my jam. And like this, is, I mean, I love obviously, and I think every time we preach to a book of the Bible, we've just there are things we love about that and things you discover. And so I've never, I can honestly say, there's never been a book of the Bible that I've preached through that I didn't love preaching through. I mean, I've never had one where I was like, oh man, I wish I'd like for this one to get. Can we wrap this one up? Maybe I'll skip a few um, verses. Yeah, maybe skip a little bit here or there. No, I always want to spend more time in it because that's the way God's word is. Um, but Acts has a very special, it holds a very special place in, in my heart. And I think most, most people who are missionaries or church planters, Acts is a really big deal. It is. It's this narrative of the early church. And so, um, and this past week we got to deal with the, one of the more famous passages or sections in Acts, and that was the conversion of Saul. So... Saul and Paul. Saul and Paul. I like how you drew that out at the beginning. I don't know if everyone's listening and remembers that, but Jay just made it. It was kind of an aside at the beginning of the sermon that he had two names, Saul and Paul. Right. And a, a Hebrew one and a Greek one. And uh, yeah, that was interesting. So we actually had a question this week, Jay, we which did. is awesome. And it was not about his name. No, it wasn't. I just thought it was interesting because I thought, I think that's such a common way that we talk about it. We just think, oh, well, after his conversion, then he was Paul. And I remember saying that, you know, when I was younger and you realized, well, no, because for four chapters after that, he's still referred to as Saul. He's not referred to as Paul until he goes to the Gentiles. And so you realize like they were both, yeah, both yeah. his names. Um. So yeah, we did have a question. Yeah, so here I am wasting a, time. I'm wasting it, everybody's time. Well, it's a great question too, and it comes from um, Jesus speaking. This is this part of Acts is beautiful too. You have these red letters in here. You have Jesus speaking to the church, um, to his followers. And if you look at, if you have your Bible, you could look at um, chapter nine, Acts nine, verse sixteen. And Jesus is talking um, to Ananias, and he says about Saul. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So the question that was sent in was, what is going on with this suffering? Is this Paul doing some sort of penance Mm -hmm. for 
the evil, you know, this house-to-house brutal persecution that he was overseeing and participating in? Or what's going on? What do you think, Jay? Yeah, so, um, is, I mean, it is really a great question. And many people, maybe many people listening, were kind of raised with this idea of penance, the idea of us kind of having to make amends for our sin. And it certainly has the feel of that. I mean, it certainly, it, if you, this is, there's so many things in scripture where the tone we read it with that we project a lot. So when people just say like, no, I'm a person of the Bible. And as long as I stick to God's word, then I'm good. You have to understand God's word is perfect and infallible. We are not. And one of the biggest ways that we um, twist meanings in scripture is simply through tone. You know, there, there's a big difference, like, you know, just random thoughts. So you think about the interaction of Jesus with the woman at the well and the tone that you put on Jesus and the woman will dictate kind of what you take from that. Like, what is his attitude towards the woman? I think about the woman caught in adultery when he says, go and sin no more. Well, his tone in that says probably even more than the actual words that he's saying. And and here we have a similar situation. So if you read that as Jesus telling Ananias, well, tell him, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for the sake of my name. I'm so glad you gave an example. I was going to have you do it. So perfect. Yeah. Do it again. Do it again. Okay. <laughs> do it again. Um, yeah. If So that, if, if, if he says, I, I'm going to show him. Yep. I mean, that's, I mean, if, if that's the tone that you read into that, then yes, it feels like, um, it feels vindictive. It feels like penance. It feels like I'm going to punish him for how he has persecuted others. And that kind of fits with our nature and our personality. And, and the reason why when I, I think that, you know, penance is an idea that kind of comes up because we don't, we don't do well with grace and mercy. And, you know, we show that all the time. Like if you have conflict with a human, another human being, you know, how many times do they say, does somebody say, I'm sorry. And another person responds with like, well, that's not good enough. You know, like we, we want, we want, we, we feel like we got to do something to make up. There's got to be something that is done to make up for what, what happened. And, and yeah, there's, there's places for that. There's places for that in our justice system. There's even places for that, um, like in reconciliation, like in rebuilding trust or something like that. But we're talking about what Jesus is saying to Ananias about Saul. And, and so now the issue that we're dealing with here is you, you have the issue of um, forgiveness and justification, and then you have the issue of preparation. So I would differentiate between those and say what Jesus is saying about Saul, that I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name, is not an issue of justification or salvation, or forgiveness. It is not vindictive. It is not punishment. It has nothing to do with you're going to make this right in some way um, for all the pain that you have caused. The reason why I know that and believe that is because all of that is taken on the cross. Like Paul is justified fully at the moment that he turns to Jesus and is forgiven. He does not need to suffer or pay any price for the sins that he has committed because Jesus has paid all of it. I think that's a really critical thing that we don't put on people. We don't we don't say you're forgiven 
Um, but now you need to you need to make up for that. That's a very dangerous doctrine that we want to be really careful of. Yeah, we end up maybe not saying it so crassly, but the idea is that we are somehow paying God back for the evil that we did and right. making kind of balancing it out, right? The right. the good and the evil and like you said that was taken care of by Jesus on the cross. There is nothing to pay back. And when we try to do that, we become like our own sort of savior in doing that. We we have to make ourselves acceptable to God in some way. And and then we also can view God as constantly squashing us and hindering us because mm-hmm. of our bad behavior. It's more like a an, a karma outlook. Like you did this bad yes. thing, now this bad thing's going to come to you. Sometimes we think that, that way in Wisconsin about good weather. <laughs> so it's really nice today. We're going to pay for this later. Right. <laughs> That's the That's humorous so way. But it's a similar thing that it, it comes back to get you, essentially. Yeah, and and so it's it's not that. So I want to be really clear that what Jesus is saying there is not a not a form of making up for his Saul making up for his sins through his suffering. The other thing that I don't that I don't think this is that sometimes can happen is I don't think Jesus is talking about the natural consequences of Saul's sin, which is a real thing. So just like sometimes on earth you you do make amends in some way person to person um but there is also the natural consequences there are the natural consequences of our sin and so um so there that's another idea is that like well is Jesus talking about um you know Paul because of what he's done because he's persecuted so many Christians like he's going to have a really hard road there is some truth to that like for for the life for Paul's life you definitely could say that. For example, I mean, later in the passage, he's not accepted right away by the disciples. They can't. They can't believe. They don't believe that he's actually a disciple. And you know, who can blame them? Um, and so that's a natural consequence of the fact that he rounded people up and had them persecuted and some of them killed. So, um, so that's a natural consequence. But that's not. That's also not what Jesus is saying here. I don't think because. Um, I mean, primarily because Jesus is saying, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So he's not saying, hey, let him know his road's going to be hard because of his past sin, which some, again, sometimes we do that. Look, we all have situations where we'd say, okay, sin, we've sinned. And I've, I've in counseling sessions have said to somebody before, like, hey, look, you're forgiven. God forgives you. You just need to know that you're the road that you are now going to walk is is going to be harder because of these decisions. You know, there's going to be consequences that are going to come up. That is not vindictive from God. That is just, you know, reality. So I don't know what you think about that. Like, do you agree with me that that is not consequences of sin are a real thing, but that that is not what this passage is. Not at all. Especially given how many times when you read Paul's writings that he will actually list the hardships that he faced, and he never ties it to that. He never ties it to, yeah, I was shipwrecked, and that's because I persecuted Christians. There's never mm-hmm. the, there's not a natural consequence going on there at all. It is a real thing that we experience in, in our life and in the world, but that's not what's being talked about here. It's not what Jesus is saying. So what do you think it is, Jay? Um, I think... That it's option three, door door number three, that is preparation. 
I think that what Jesus is saying is to Ananias is a a way of lovingly giving courage and preparing Paul for the road that he is going to walk. Um, it is really incredible when you think nobody, no other New Testament writer has shaped the theology of the church like Paul. And it is just such a fascinating thing that God selected him of all people. You know, Jesus says to Peter, you know, you are, you are Peter on, on this rock, I will build my church. And so we know that in Catholic traditions, Peter is, you know, considered, you know, the first Pope or whatever, but I mean, there's, we can go into that at a different time of what's actually going on there, but you cannot, you cannot debate that Paul shaped the theology of the church. And he's not the guy that walked around with Jesus the whole time. Like he didn't, he, he's the guy that meets him on the road to Damascus and in this blinding light, he's persecuted Christians. And it just says something about how God uses people and how it is him and it is not us. And I think what Jesus is preparing Paul for is that, um, that he's going to, um, he's going to shape, like he's saying, I'm going to shape you. Like this is, this is the road you're going to walk. And the, the reason why I would point to that is one, one example I would give is like the rich young ruler. It's almost the opposite of what happens with the rich young ruler. So the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, what do I do have to have to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, you know, the, you know, the law. And the guy's like, yeah, I've done all these things. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell all your, all you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. And the guy walks away dejected. And we talk about that and say, that doesn't mean that the price of admission to follow Jesus is to sell all your possessions. What it does mean is that like what we talked about on Sunday, that when you when you come to Christ, everything you are and have belongs to him. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You now belong to him. And so however he is going to prepare you, whatever he's going to do, whether it's with your, your past, your story, your abilities, your money, like whatever, it's all, it's all him. And, and what we're going to find is like Paul says, it's worth it. Right. So, um, he, you know, he says, I, I suffered the loss of all things. So one of the things he suffered when Jesus says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my sake, for the sake of my name. Paul says, like, I, I've suffered the loss of all things. He gave up his past. He gave up his identity. He gave up his, um, his confidence and his training. He gave up his status. He gave up, his, he gave up everything. He suffered the loss of it. Um, but it was, it was worth it. Because he's like, I count all that thing, all of that as rubbish, as garbage, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So compared to that, like he's like, it was worth it. And so that's a callback to when Jesus says in Matthew 13, um, Matthew 13, 44, that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field where upon finding it, man goes and sells everything he has, you know, with joy to to inherit that that treasure. Like he has to buy the land. He has to give up everything and it's worth it to him. He's like, cause I have to have that treasure. And Paul lives that out um, later. It really, it strikes me too, how much Paul in that moment, Jesus is calling, telling Ananias on Paul's behalf that he will be just like Jesus. 
he will walk the road that Jesus walked. It's interesting, even the way Jesus describes the role, he's this chosen instrument of God's kingdom, essentially, and he's going to suffer because of that. And it's the same thing that Jesus walked through. All of the misunderstandings, all of the persecutions, over and over again, Jesus's followers walk the life in the way that he walked in his power. And I do think that was like Jesus clarifying when you said, who are you, Lord? I'm this Lord. I'm the the died and risen Lord. I suffered for all people. And Paul was going to join him in that suffering. And I think there's a sense in which we all do that, that as we follow Christ, we do suffer. And part of me thinks, I agree with you, by the way, I think this is a preparation for him. This is going to happen. Jesus does this at the end of John too, yes. right? He He warns his disciples so that, when the bad things start to happen, we don't get alarmed because I think our natural response to negative feedback from people, whether it's violence or insult or rejection, you know, for Paul, it was pretty extreme. Like you can read that he he talks about how many lashings he received and the shipwrecking that I mentioned earlier. But when that happens to us, we often feel like maybe I'm on the wrong path. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, when I get a negative reaction, maybe that means that I'm not following and doing what I'm called to do. But Jesus here, I think, is reminding him that's going to be part of it. It's going to be. And like you just said, you're not going to lack, though. Mm-hmm. It's the treasure in the field. Like, you're still going to have everything you need and and better, even though you're going to suffer. Yeah, when they yeah. like when the disciples said, like we've given up everything to follow you. And he said, you didn't give up anything mm-hmm. that I'm not repaying. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, so yeah, he is. And I, I love that point. That's a really great point that Jesus already prepared the disciples for that. So not only in order for Paul to have the credibility as an apostle, he had to be with Jesus because that was one of the requirements to be like for, for an apostle, um, for them to believe like this is a true apostle. Well, it had to be somebody that walked with Jesus. Well, Paul did not, but he came, comes face to face with Jesus. And it's almost like in, in a way, just from you saying that makes me think like it was almost like a Cliff's Notes version of, hey, Ananias, like here's the thing you got to catch him up to speed on is how much he's going to suffer because I am the suffering servant and the suffering king. And if you're going to walk, if you're going to follow me, this is the road. You're right. Jesus did that for the disciples. So like they, he prepared them so that once they were indwelled by the Holy Spirit and they understood, and we talk about how like Peter and John go before the council and they know, you know, Stephen goes before and is stoned and he knows like they are already prepared for that. And so Paul is kind of getting this crash course of this is the way of Jesus. Um, I'm curious, what has been your experience? Let me ask you this question. You were writing something else down, though, so you might have something else to say. But um, I'm curious what your experience is. We, so the church, for a long time, we didn't have a very good theology of suffering at all. Then I think it goes to how to endure in suffering, which is good, and, and we are to do that. But I don't know if we always do a very good job of talking about the intentionality of suffering and it's and and how how it actually is ultimately for our joy, um, but it doesn't feel like that. Why do you think that's hard for us to grasp? I mean, most times when we talk to Christians who are suffering, it's like, okay, well, I know 
I know we're in a broken world, and so these things happen, and I know God is with me. But the intentionality of it, the purpose, the purposeful nature of suffering, either why do you think we struggle to grasp that, or what's been your experience with understanding that? I think sometimes, you know, when you li- when you read the list of, say, the fruit of the Spirit, for example, there the word suffering isn't there. Mm. But that doesn't mean that suffering isn't part of what it means. So the word patience is there. And patience, usually we don't need patience for things that make us happy. So I I think part of it is just our it reveals our image of what it means to become like Jesus. So one of the books that in college really shaped me was um, called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. It was written in like the 1500s. Um, a lot of it's a bit monkish, but the parts that aren't about how to be a monk and live in a monastery <laughs> are very uh, helpful. And one of the things that the longer you read it, the more it became apparent to me that when Thomas Akempis talks about the imitation of Christ, he actually is talking about suffering. Mm-hmm. Yes, it comes out in, in godly character in all kinds of ways, but ultimately one of the ways and key ways we do that is suffering. I just I think that we're looking for love, joy, and peace, which is great, and that's part of it. But along with that is this tension that there is this suffering that, that we're, out, we're enduring and often we're called to endure it on behalf of other people, just like Christ did on behalf of other people. So every time we forgive someone, that's an example of it. There is suffering involved when you forgive. There is. There's release, but there's also like a release internally, but there's also a releasing of someone of paying, like we were talking earlier, talking earlier. They're not going to pay for the wrong. We're not going to hold it against them anymore. And that can be really painful. Yeah. It, you know, Christ on the cross is the physical image of what's going on there, but that's a form of suffering. Whenever we don't return evil with evil, that's a form, I think, of suffering where we absorb evil on ourselves, and that's where it ends. Mm-hmm. It's going to stay with me. The, the My favorite passage is about this is, is Romans 5, where Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Then he goes into the love of God. So Paul clearly taught about that as well, that suffering is something we can actually rejoice in. Not that the suffering in itself is a good thing. That's we're not supposed to seek it in the sense of I want to suffer more, but when suffering comes, we can trust that it's coming from the hand of a loving God, that he's not surprised by it or unaware of it. So what I'm curious what you're thinking too about, about I mean, that that's question. That's a great so, question. It's so good that I so here's one of the things that I think about. So there's the whole I, I mean, I just got done teaching a class on worldview and ethics and apologetics, and one of the things that comes up is natural law and the idea of can you you know, Romans one talks about what can be known about God, can be plainly seen, you know, in, in creation. And so there's this debate, you know, is it sufficient? And no, it's it's not, but but one of the things I love is in natural law and just the way things work in, in nature and, and everything, often we find Easter eggs of just illustrations that God has hidden to explain more of, of what he means by this. And, and we have this all over nature that um, we only grow under like stress or pressure. So how are, how are muscles built? They are built by being used and being torn down and then being built back up. Think about growing pains. 
you know, you, you, you can't grow like unless the, everything is stretching in you, um, and being and pressure is being put on there, on your limbs, on your joints and everything like that. And it produces pain. Um, nobody who's ever achieved anything, like whether you become really good at a, an instrument or a good at a sport or good at any kind of discipline that it, where it didn't, where there wasn't pain, there wasn't like, um, some form of that. It, it every, area of our lives that we look at we we have these phrases of no pain no gain we have these phrases of you know that the only things um worth having are are worth you know worth absorbing pain for or worth suffering for worth working hard for um they don't come easily like good things don't come easily we have all the stuff that we see in nature all the time and and yet somehow we think that spiritually it'd be different but it's not because that's God created all of that and he created to show that. Now, to your point, you know, if if my kid wants to grow and and get taller, well just inflicting pain on themselves is not going to do it. So it's not the pain like necessarily like just in and of itself, but it is the environment that he's able that they're able to grow under is going to cause pain. And, and so when you say that about fruit of the spirit, immediately I went to first Peter three fifteen, uh, which we love to use for apologetics or evangelism that, you know, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you, um, do so with gentleness and respect. But the whole context of that is suffering. That whole paragraph is about suffering for doing good and for righteousness sake. And it ends with like, do not repay evil with evil. Like it's this, it's, the the hope like the if you reverse engineer that is someone will ask you for the hope for the reason for the hope that is in you only when they see a, an otherworldly hope in you which only happens in the context of suffering like nobody has ever won the lottery and been super excited and somebody said hey could you give me the reason for the hope that is in you like to the world, that makes total sense. They would just be like, "Oh yeah, I don't, I don't need to ask you. You're really excited because you just want a million dollars." But when you are suffering, and you have this hope, which again, now that's the fruit of the spirit. Like under that pressure, a tree bears fruit, and so the fruit that we bear is if it's if it's joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self control. If it's these things, if that's what's coming out when pressure is applied, that is the fruit of the spirit. And that is what doesn't make sense to the world. And that is why they would ask you, Hey, why are you so hopeful right now? And then you can give an answer for the hope that is in you. Yeah. This all has such important missional implication and especially the life of Paul. I mean, you, when you circle all the way back to Jesus's statement there about Paul's life, what other sense can you make of what happened to him and what he endured other than Christ was his everything? Christ was his Lord. Yeah. You wouldn't keep going. What did he stand to gain from it? He didn't. It, if you if you want to look it up as well, I won't read it all now because it's long, but Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul goes through the list of things, his various sufferings and persecutions, and it'd be worth a read sometime and just to see what he went through as he served Christ. And it continues on. I'd, I'd encourage you to not stop at the end of 11 because the conclusion of his thinking doesn't happen until 12. And it's, it's the famous one where Jesus says to him, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that, Jay, is what you were just saying, that under pressure, what comes out? And that suffering is not good in itself, but it is the context and the environment or the um, situation in which we learn in real life that this that statement is true, that his grace is sufficient for us and that his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Because Paul had probably had that all the time. Even you mentioned earlier that he was late to the scene, right? He didn't walk with Jesus the way Peter did. Can you imagine like mentally just any, any normal human being what that would do to you when you're thinking, well, if only I would have walked with them the way Peter and John did, then surely I wouldn't respond this sinful way <laughs> to the circumstance, sure. right? But like, that's a weakness. You could you could say that's a weakness. And Jesus over and over again in Paul's life was teaching him he has everything that Paul needs in every situation and in every circumstance, including and most fully in these situations that with horrible suffering. Yeah, it is. And I think one of the reasons why it's hard for us to accept it is, you know, Paul is going to walk a road that other disciples aren't. Like each of the disciples have a different road of, of suffering. Um, I've thought before, it's, it's interesting that John is the only apostle we have record of um, dying of old age. He's also the only apostle we have record of of having been at the cross when Jesus dies. And so I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's something <laughs> like that's something I remember in college asking one of my professors about, he's like, Oh, that's it. You should write something on that. I haven't, I don't know. But, but there is something of identifying with Christ in his sufferings. And so for John, he's there at the cross and is, is there to the bitter end of seeing what happens to Jesus. He, John suffers in his own way. Like he's exiled on an Island. It's not like he then, Oh, because he witnessed the death of Jesus. Now he's, you know, hanging out and like having my ties on the beach. Um, it's very different, but his role, what Jesus had for him in store was to live this long life. And then it's really fascinating when you read the gospel of John, if you're not, you know, for those of you who are listening who aren't aware of it, it's very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke because Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written as historical accounts very soon after relatively soon after the life and death of Jesus John, the Gospel of John is written far later. And now at the end of his life and having looked back on all of this and understanding more of what what did Jesus mean by these things? And so the Gospel of John has a much more theological and poetic, you know, bent to it rather than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are much more, you know, narrative in, in their tales and like how they tell the story of Jesus. And so John, late in his life, writes the Gospel of John. He writes the Book of Revelation. He writes, you know, his his epistles, and they're just they're different because Jesus was preparing him differently. And I think one of the things that we have to be mindful of is is in a world where we can look to our left or our right, and we you know we see people um, being prepared in different ways for different things. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why, you know, for some people, their 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 road of suffering and preparation to be able to to trust that Jesus is enough and experience this joy and this peace comes through different hardships than they come for me. Um, but I think the key thing to remember in that is that we have a good Father who only gives good gifts, and He does not. He does not. Um, visit suffering on us 
in vindic in vindictive ways that everything that we have here will be resurrected in in joy for eternity and if you can trust that um then then you don't you don't need to be comparing yourself and thinking like oh this bad thing happened to me that must mean because that must be because i am not as good of a christian as that person or whatever that none of that is at play god is um he is specific in his love for us he is specific in our preparation um and and so you can you can trust him in that even though it's going to look different for different people and i don't know if paul I'm sure there were disciples. I mean, there were. I mean, they they would have looked at Paul. First of all, they didn't trust him. But secondly, did they did they say, "Well, man, you weren't you weren't with us." So you're saying Paul was probably wondering, like, "Man, if I'd been with Jesus, if I'd gotten to walk with him," um, it makes me wonder. In their flesh, did some of the apostles look at Paul and be like, "Man, you you are Johnny come lately. Like you you didn't walk through all this stuff that we walked through." And did Paul look at them envious of, "Man, I didn't get to see Jesus." heal the leper. I didn't get to see Jesus, you know, heal the bleeding. These stories that Peter lived, Paul didn't. And so, you know, it could have gone either way. We look at it though, from a big picture and be like, man, God was preparing all of you. Like we don't look at it as, well, God must've loved Peter more because Peter got to hang out with Jesus and Paul didn't, or God must've loved Paul more. Like we don't look at it that way but they very well could have in their weaker moments. Um, and so we need to be mindful of that and say like, we, we're prepared in different ways and get different experiences and we don't understand why. You know, and, and even as you were saying that, I, was, I had this other thought about, you know, what is an obstacle to enduring suffering the way Paul described, rejoicing in it for mm-hmm. what God does with it. Um it's kind of the inverse of what we're saying Jesus isn't saying here. So Jesus isn't telling Paul, I'm going to make you suffer because of the bad things you did. The, another way of thinking that same line of thought is to, is to think, I will not suffer because I've done such good things. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an underlying assumption. It's just in the opposite direction. So the first one assumes God's going to bring bad things in my life because I've done bad things. The other one assumes I will not endure bad things because I'm only doing what's good. And I'm somehow earning myself a life without suffering, a life of comfort and ease. And if we just look at the life of Jesus, we can refute that very quickly, right? That he didn't sin ever. (laughs) And his life was full of difficulties and trials, but also much joy and much peace that was never interrupted. And so I think it's interesting to me that you there's a there's a self-salvation thing going on with both of those responses. And I do think there's an injustice we feel when something brings about suffering and we didn't intend any evil in what we did. That does not feel good. It doesn't. And it feels like it shouldn't be that way. But God uses those things. Yeah, well, Peter says it's better. Mm-hmm. It's better to suffer for righteousness sake. <laughs> like yeah. that's that's he's a implying this is going to happen make sure that when you suffer it's for righteous reasons like that's better than to suffer for consequences like if you think about that it's better to suffer for righteousness sake than to suffer for the consequences of destructive decisions like no i don't think anybody really could argue with that you know because you're you're one you're trusting god and you're being faithful and you feel you're experiencing christ the other one it's in rebellion and 
and hurting other people, um, that's a much harder thing to get over, you know? It is. And it's related, Jesus' teachings, to love your enemies. Right. What more are you doing than anyone else? You say hi to your brothers. You greet those who greet you. It's fascinating how all of these things, they're not independent. No. They're the same heart and the same wisdom and teaching from Jesus. And they're, they're getting to live it out. That's what's so beautiful to me about Acts is we're really seeing a real-life case study <laughs> of if you took Jesus seriously and wanted to follow him, what would it look like? This is it. This yeah. is what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, because it is the way. Yeah, it's the way. Mm-hmm. It's the way of Jesus. And so all these things, you're right, these are not independent principles or anything that we're living out. Um, and ultimately, you see Paul receive the abundant life here on earth you know, I think about when you get all the way to, you know, Philippians 4, when he talks about being content in all circumstances. Man, who wouldn't want to be content? Like, contentment to me is like one of the great secrets of life. And I've had experiences in my life where I have lacked content, like contentment, and then other experiences, eras or seasons in my life where I've been content. And content is not the same thing as being um, complacent or, you know, just not wanting anything. No, it's like content true contentment where you're like, I'm just at peace. I'm joyful. Like I, I, I don't want for anything. Like everything I could pop, all the desires that I have are just, they're being fulfilled here and now. Um, that's an incredible feeling. And that's where Paul is. So after all of Paul's suffering, after all of the, you know, the thorn in his flesh being brought low, being beaten, um, all these different things, he, he writes that I, I have, I've learned the secret of all this and is I am content like in Christ. When he says in Christ, I can do all things. I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, he's saying that in, in Christ, like I am content fully. So whatever's happened, happening around me, it's either shaping me to experience more of him or, or I'm enjoying blessings from him. Like whatever it is, um, I, I'm able to receive all of that and be totally content and and that comes from a deep trust that God is sovereign and that he is intimately involved with his life and he can trust him completely and so when you are there you um when you're there you are completely like you're going to be content if you know that God is with me and wherever I am then I have total contentment and that that's the abundant life that's what Paul gains through this road that Jesus promises he's going to walk. And so that's part of this thing that I, I think we just need to understand is that if you want that, then you have to walk the way of Jesus. And yes, that's going to be, there's going to be suffering. There's also going to be incredible blessing um, in just wonderful, wonderful gifts that we may not, sometimes you see as wonderful in the moment, sometimes you don't, but whatever it is, it is it is either producing something you're experiencing right now or in the future. So hopefully that's, I don't know, hopefully that's encouraging whatever road people are walking right now to know God is with you. He is working all things.